Welcome back to the Bulls Beeples fans. Doug Tonis here with you discussing our Chicago Bulls, and we are going to wrap up the offseason. I know it's been about a month. I've done a couple of guest spots in different places, a couple on the big red bus, probably doing another bus episode soon with my buddy Fred, uh, maybe even later today, though. You know, given Fred's timing, that'll be posted two days later. Uh, so this will maybe be the last one. I'll do one more in October, but probably not anymore until the preseason games start at a, at a minimum. Uh, we'll see what happens after that. Uh, just been a super busy uh, summer for myself. Great summer, but incredibly busy. So uh, just to kind of recap a little bit, Javon Carter, Tory Craig, uh, really good additions. We're going to assume Tory Craig is going to be a good defender, maybe a shooter. He, sh- he shot pretty well last year, but only one good shooting year in his career. I'm going to call it the Vooch rule. You never call someone a good shooter because they're coming off one single good shooting year. <laughs> that doesn't make you a good shooter, uh, but but still seems like a really good fit. Javon Carter, you know, good defender, good shooter, seems like a, a really good player for what the Bulls need. Only downside to those guys is they're coming off championship team teams with championship aspirations that didn't fight to keep them, especially Craig, who his team took like 11 minimum salary guys instead of him at the minimum, which seems pretty pretty out there. I mean, maybe Craig just didn't want to go back there, but he, he played a ton of minutes for them in the playoffs and played pretty well, so that was a little surprising. The offseason overall, I, I think you feel pretty good about the Bulls' top 10. It you know, feels really solid. You know, for guards, you've got Zach Carter, Kobe, Io. Caruso, maybe, depending if you call him a guard or wing, wings, you got DeMar, Caruso, Pat, Torrey Craig, you know, bigs, you got Vooch and Drummond. And I think for 10 guys, that's pretty solid. Like, you know, it's a good variety of skills. You've got some pretty good defenders in there now between, you know, Carter and Caruso and Craig, uh, you know, who are all plus defenders. And then, you know, Pat and Io, you hope will be plus defenders. Kobe is, I think, at least moved up to neutral. So I think that's a, that's a pretty solid group. Um, after that 10, I think the bottom five is sketchy. I mean, Lonzo's obviously not going to play. And then, you know, the four people left, Julian Phillips, Dalen Terry, Terry Taylor, and Carleek Jones, assuming Jones makes the roster, which I don't think he will more on that later. I think that that group there, I mean, I don't know that I think Dalen Terry can be on the floor for any length of time. Terry Taylor maybe is a hustle player is okay. And Julian Phillips, maybe, but probably going to make too many mistakes as a very young rookie. I mean, and I like Phillips as, as an upside guy, so no complaints there. But it really does show if the Bulls keep 14 and Lonzo's just a dead roster spot, which is, I think, going to be the outcome so they can avoid the luxury tax. It, it makes you very thin, you know, makes you very thin towards injury. Uh, a guy like Terry Taylor, to me, becomes a little bit of a luxury, and we'll talk about that in a little bit later. The overall thought I had on the offseason is it seemed like Acme overpaid the guys that they like. Like they went out of their way for the decisions they made to double down on them and to spend even more money to double down on them. Like who was bidding on Vooch for more than 15 million? Like I think no one. I don't think anyone was going above the mid-level exception. And so if you just offered him 15, you'd have had an extra 5 million in space. And when you look at that now, and we're going to waive Carleek Jones because we're up against the luxury tax, if you had $5 million more, you could maybe bring in a guy like Kelly Oubre or a guy like Christian Wood. And I think when I just noticed, like, you got 10 strong players, but you got no depth afterwards, like, that would have made a, a potentially pretty big difference in terms of 
this team's ability to be resilient towards injury. I've discussed a lot, and I've seen it now pick up a little steam over other podcasts, but I discussed a lot very early on about how the Bulls were just radically healthy last year, and you just can't anticipate that happening again. And so we don't really have a lot of resiliency to injury. And so what I think you're going to see at the end of this year, there's a really good chance someone is going to get hurt, and you're going to be like, oh, if only we didn't have these couple injuries, this team could have been something. But you, you kind of have to plan that you can lose two or three guys for a decent stretch. And I'm not saying you can lose your two or three best players, but the Bulls are really going to be hurt. Like, even if they just lose, like, Andre Drummond, like, they don't really have another backup center on the roster. They're now going to have to go small all the time. Like, they can lose guys who aren't really their core players and still have a, a pretty negative outcome to it. And if you get a confluence of injuries, like Drummond and Vooch both went out at the same time for, like, just say... 10 games and you're going 10 games without a center. Like that's kind of a problem. And so like there's things like that that are like just exist on the roster now. And in part of that is because you have one dead roster spot in Lonzo. And like I said, I think you're going to have another dead one when you have to wave Carly Jones to get it out from under the luxury tax. And then you've got three guys on the roster who like, you're not really confident in their ability to go out there and chew up minutes right now. Like maybe they could develop, maybe whatever, but you're not confident they can go and, and play and deserve NBA minutes right now. And I like Julian Phillips as a guy we're taking a chance on, but like, I don't know that we can throw him out there. So I think that's like kind of like a risk that this team team has. And the thing you're going to say at the end of the season, if things look poorly, like that's a really obvious reason why this team may not reach its uh, potential. Uh, you saw the same thing with IO. I mean, like no one seemed to be in the market for him above the qualifying offer or really at all. You didn't hear anything about it. His qualifying offer was $5 million. If we brought him back on that, I mean, I think that was a fair contract. And then he also would still be restricted next year, so you'd still have the ability to keep him if he, you know, had a bounce-back year and showed a lot of growth and you liked him a lot. Uh, maybe there was a silent bidder. That was my first thought on Twitter when, it, when the news broke, is I said, maybe there's a silent bidder. And, you know, Io just came to us and said, hey, if you match this, you can structure the deal without the poison pill, whatever. And then we did that and he stayed. I just kind of feel like if that was the case, we would have heard about it. I think we just overpaid our own guy. Like we just fell in love with him and we're like, we drafted Io. You know, everyone in Chicago loves him. We got to keep him. We're going to pay. Like, and people seem like pretty happy about it, but like Io did not have a $7 million a year type of season last year. So it's just kind of like an oddball thing, but it feels like for our own guys, like or the decisions that Acme made, they're willing to really go in on it. And it, had you saved that three million on IO, five million on Booch, like I said, you're adding Kelly Oubre, you're adding Christian Wood, you're adding like a guy that could maybe make a real impact. And so I think that's the cost. On the flip side, when they're dealing with the open market and they're not dealing with the potential sunk cost of their own decisions and being unwilling to move off their own decisions. You know, they, they got pretty good deals. Like Torrey Craig and Javon Carter were really good deals, like for the money in comparison. And so it's just sort of interesting, like that difference. Like once they lock into a decision, they seem to really stick with it and, and not have a lot of flexibility to think that maybe I didn't get this right in the past. Uh, you see that in other minor ways with like Pat Williams and their commitment to him. And, and maybe they'll be proven right. And maybe you know, this is what it is. Like he's a great guy to commit to. And, or maybe just the market's not there to do anything else. Uh, but the fact that they never really brought in any competition for him for three seasons was was really kind of a, a bad situation for Chicago. And, you know, even this year, the competition they're bringing in is Torrey Craig. Is Torrey Craig, at the vet minimum, really better competition than Javante Green and Derek Jones Jr.? 
like maybe, but he's still only going up against vet men guys. You don't have any depth at power forward. You don't have like, I mean, even in the past, at least you had multiple guys who are competing with him. Uh, so I think that's just kind of an interesting uh, situation. One of the things I kind of want to talk about was Terry Taylor versus Derek Jones Jr. These guys both signed at the minimum. Uh, I think Terry Taylor, it counts as a little bit less because he's still maybe, no, actually it's his third year in the league. So he should still be at the, the vet minimum. So same price as Derek Jones Jr. Basically, you're paying uh, Terry Taylor the same price as Derek Jones Jr. Why? Why would you not just keep Derek Jones Jr.? Maybe he didn't want to stay. Maybe that was what, what happened here. It just seems like he signed for the minimum, which also seems weird. Like he ended up t- getting less money than if he just opted into his deal with the Bulls. Uh, so that seems a little Maybe, man, you know what? Maybe I take that back. Maybe he signed for the same amount. It just counts as the cap is less because we did the minimum with an option year. I'd have to go double check that. That, that might not be true. Derek Jones Jr. may have basically broke even on the deal. Uh, but I just don't see why you would want Taylor over Derek Jones Jr. The only thing I can think of is like, we just didn't like him for some reason. Like, I don't know why we didn't play him more. He seemed like the best power forward on the team, even though, even though he's making the vet minimum and he's certainly small forward size and not power forward size. Uh, Taylor seems like a similar piece in a lot of ways to Derek Jones Jr., except uh, just not as polished, less experienced, less NBA ready. Like, he's just a poor man's version. And it's not like, oh, we've got a four-year deal on him and he's 19 and we're hoping he grows and then we're going to get some... He's on a one-year deal. Like, if it doesn't pan out this year, he's gone. If it does pan out this year, he's on a market value contract next year. We don't even have bird rights on him, so if we keep him, I believe we have to use some type of one of our exceptions. So if we want to keep him next year, it's the mid-level exception. Now, he will be in his third year, so we should have matching rights on him next year. It'll be restricted, but uh, we don't have any special leverage to keep him. Um, hmm. now that I'm thinking about it, I don't know if maybe we have early bird rights because he was here on a partial contract last year and this will be the second year. I'd have to check into that. Maybe we have early bird rights. Either way, the general thing is Terry Taylor, even if he pans out, it's not like this is some long-term value developmental play for Chicago where you can get a guy in a cheap deal for a long period of time. This is pretty much just one year, this guy versus that guy. And Derek Jones Jr. seemed like the much better option. Maybe he didn't want to come back here. For whatever reason, that's also a possibility. It may not have been a fair uh, choice between the two. He may have just said, yeah, I'm done here. But I, I think it's a bummer. I like Derek Jones Jr. a lot relative to the amount we played him. And I think it's a little disappointing to me personally that he's gone. And so kind of looking at the offseason, you know, I described all the guys there. And you, know, you ask yourself, was this a good offseason? And if you just start looking at, here's the additions. We've got Torrey Craig, Javon Carter, Julian Phillips, and Terry Taylor. The subtractions are Javante Green, Derek Jones Jr., Patrick Beverly, and Marco Simonovic. And so if I was to compare that, you're basically swapping, we'll say, Pat Beverly and Derek Jones Jr. for Javon Carter and Torrey Craig. You know, Javante Green was hurt, so he didn't really play, didn't really impact the, the season that much last year. Uh, Marco clearly didn't play, so those guys really don't count. And then Phillips and Taylor, you don't really expect to play this year. So it's, it's really about those four guys and who's better. And, you know, I'd say like, okay, I, I look at that and I think we're probably a little better off with the guys coming in versus the guys going out. And if you say, you know, with Pat Beverly here, we were actually a pretty decent team, then, you know, that projects out to be kind of mid-40s while everyone is healthy. Um, now, that puts a lot on the idea that Pat Beverly – being on the roster made a huge difference versus Zach Levine just playing a lot better. And then you wonder, well, that was a health thing. He wasn't healthy earlier. And then he finally kind of, it all came together for him. Is that really going to happen all year? 
it's a little difficult to say, but I'd say generally the team is a little bit, a smidge improved versus the post all-star break version of the team last year, if they stay healthy. And the thing I'm going to say is it's like, so we're better on the margins and it was a decent margins off season. And so if you start thinking like we want to make margin moves and we're only going to make margin moves, we didn't really have the, the assets to make a big move. Like there wasn't a great opportunity to bring in a big name player. We didn't have the tradable salaries for one. Uh, we didn't have the assets to offer. So you're going to make that kind of move. It was really whether you want to blow it up, uh, whether you want to try to pivot in some way or whether you want to make margin moves. And there probably weren't really meaningful pivot opportunities. Uh, so it basically came down to margin moves versus blowing it up. You know, I've been on team blow it up for like multiple years now, but you know, the front office hasn't. And so going for the margin move type offseason, I think this was about as good as you could possibly expect. If you told me, Doug, please tell me the best margin move plan you can come up with. It probably would have looked pretty similar to what the Bulls did, except I would have played hardball on Vooch. I would have played hardball on Io. I probably would have had $8 million more, and I'd have then signed you know, Kelly Oubre Jr. with that extra money, and we'd have one more good depth piece. Um, that would probably be my plan. And I'd have Derek Jones Jr. instead of Terry Taylor, and I think my roster would then be 12 deep instead of 10 deep and would be much more resilient uh, to injury uh, compared to what we have today. Uh, that said, whatever. I, I, I think it was a decent margin offseason. I'm not going to like rail the front office towards the goals they were attempting to achieve. Now, I don't think I would have chosen the same goals, but choosing those goals, I don't think they did so bad. And the thing I mentioned going back to last summer, last summer I said, like, you got to dump Vooch and DeMar now to the Lakers for Westbrook plus these two unprotected picks. I think that deal would have been on the table at the time. And then you're going to love that deal a year later. And I still think that's true. And if you wait, all of a sudden you're not going to have good options. And so now I think that's true. Like even though I'm sort of on team blow it up now, I may have even moved to team make the margin moves because like, I don't think there's any trades left in the blow it up thing that are good. Like your opportunity to get value has passed it now. Like, that's just in the past. It just it doesn't exist anymore. I, a lot of reasons why you could have done some stuff. Um, had you done all these other things connected to how you could open up a ton of cap room and how you could use that to bail teams out of luxury tax and get all these extra assets and all these other things. But that's like generally, like, it's going to be really hard to do that kind of stuff now. And so it just is what it is. We, we missed the boat on that. And so now I kind of actually resonate a little bit with team margin move. I'm not excited about it, but at least it'll give us an enjoyable season. And I think if you're not able to move into a rebuild with like a lot of extra assets, uh, you might as well have an extra enjoyable season. Like, you know, so they, they, I think they just missed the boat on a chance to be able to do a quick rebuild. And now they're just in for like, they're in for pain, like later on down the road, we're in for a lot of pain. And that just is going to be something we have to deal with when it happens. But I don't think there's going to be an easy way out of it anymore. And I think there was an easy way out if we had acted a year earlier, but now there's not. The biggest difference in this season is going to be the health of the returning players. Uh, so it's just really, it's like, how does Zach Levine, DeMar DeRozan, Nikola Vucevic, Pat Williams, like how do our key players, are they healthy? Do we have major injuries? And then of those four guys, um, you know, like with DeMar and with Vooch, the question is, do they have a fall off because they're just at an age where that becomes likely with Pat and to a slight extent, Zach, but less with Zach. I think Zach kind of is who he is. Is there growth? And maybe with Kobe, is there growth? Like, that's really going to be what, what this season is about. Is like, do we have any, do we 
have any injuries that basically cripple us. And there's a lot of injuries that could cripple us pretty easily. Uh, and if, if we have another season of remarkable health, then, you know, do Vooch and DeMar stay at their current level? And do we get growth out of Pat and Kobe? And you start trying to connect all these dots on a like percentage chance of things happening. And you quickly run into, it's like low percentage chance of like a lot of things have to happen for the season to go like remarkably well. And by remarkably well, I mean like say 50 wins. Like, like there's this window where that could happen, but you need like, like five unlikely things to happen for that to be the case. Um, I th- think it's reasonable that we can win in the low to mid forties. You need some unlikely things to happen, but not so many that it's like this crazy low chance. And then there's also a pretty big window for things to go terribly wrong. If you just have a couple key injuries where you don't have depth and you don't have a lot of depth on the roster and you don't have a lot of flexibility to bring anyone in because you're so right on the luxury tax. And then if you have a key injury, you're probably not kicking ass in the record and you're going to be like, Oh, well we, we also aren't that great. So I don't want to, throw a bunch of money trying to save the season when we're already like well below 500. And so I think, I think there's like a a little bit more risk there, but I think a healthy team could win in the mid forties. I just, I just think it's really unlikely they'll be as healthy and they don't have the depth uh, to maybe overcome that uh, so much. So I think maybe my thought on the off season is you can criticize the direction. I've been critical of the direction for a long time. Uh, It was pretty clear they weren't going to do the things I wanted them to do. Uh, We're still sort of on the road to nowhere. Like, after this season, like, then what? You're going to renew DeMar? Like, I I don't know how you're going to manage that. So that's the main thing. Um, I want to touch on, I'm going to call it the Harden-Lillard deal topic. And, you know, it's like these three things are all sort of related. Um, And and the main thing, the main thing that's driving this is James Harden coming out, calling Daryl Morey a liar, uh, Morey coming out and saying, I expected him to do this. And and so, look, it's pretty clear Daryl Morey promised James Harden, if you take less money, I'll take care of you. Maybe they didn't throw anything in writing and maybe they didn't throw any numbers out there, but there's pro- there's an insinuation of like, hey, do this for us and I'll do for you. And then Daryl Morey didn't. And James Harden is super pissed about it. And he's like, I'm never playing for a Morey organization and blah, blah, blah. He's going to show up. He's going to show up. And the thing is, that doesn't matter. The whole thing is a joke. Like, okay, he's going to show up. He has to show up. He says he won't show up. Philadelphia doesn't want him to show up because when he's forced to show up, he's going to look like Houston James Harden before he got traded to Brooklyn where you pass him the ball and he lets it bounce off his head because he's not paying attention. It's really easy to show up and be like, um, I'll, I'll call it like civil disobedience, you know, like, or quiet quitting, you know, whatever you want to throw out there. Because he'll show up, but he's not going to do anything. And he's just going to, He's going to make everything just lousy. He's going to dog it. He's going to go like 75% speed, you know, in practice and in games and, you know, whatever. He's just going to dog his performance enough that you're like, yeah, I just, it's better to not have him here. And, and Philly will realize that, you know, pretty quickly. So that, that's really ultimately what's going to happen. And because James Harden uh, can't go to free agency next year if he doesn't show up. So he'll show up, he'll show up and make, make Philly wish he didn't show up. Uh, they can't, there can't be any investigation around this. I mean, there can be, but they already investigated it when the P.J. Tucker deal was made and they cleared the Harden deal and said that nothing happened. So, like, I don't think there's any evidence or any new evidence. And, and I doubt, like I said, there was anything clear enough. Like, more, I probably just said something like, yeah, we'll take care of you or we'll insinuate something. And, and Philly didn't actually make him any contract or anything. So there's, like, no crazy deal after this that you would say, like, if Philly paid him the max, 
this offseason, you might say like, yeah, that was pre-negotiated because why would you pay him the max after last year? Uh, so I don't think there's anything to go. Philly's not going to get punished. Maury clearly broke the rules in, in spirit and, you know, but there's just nowhere to go with it. And this is like a lot of this stuff just happens all the time. And it just is what it is. Like, I, I don't know that I honestly even care about it, to be honest with you. Um, the NBA cap rules are so weird. And, and to the extent people accept and take trust in verbal agreements and things like that and follow through or not follow through, like whatever. I just, I'm, I don't have a lot of energy about it. So, but I do think, I think, I do think Maury clearly lied to Harden, you know, through insinuation, if not directly. Going from there, I want to then flip to Damian Lillard because I think this is sort of similar. Like Lillard also wants a trade, and I think then it's like, you know, Portland is demanding the world for him. And I think the the problem here is like Lillard's not worth the world, and and he's not worth that much to Portland either. Like they probably are better off having another season being bad, getting another high draft pick, and then rebuilding around Scoot with a couple more assets. Like I don't think Lillard being there is going to be meaningful for them anyway. They just want to get as much as they can for him, which makes sense, but. No one wants those last two years with $120 million on Lillard's contract. Like, he's just actually not that valuable. And a lot of the teams he would be valuable for don't have the assets anymore. Like, it, beyond, like, teams with the new luxury tax consequences, paying these, like, insane tax fees, if they get deep into it, making a player like Lillard, like, less attractive to have that much money on the back end of his deal, a lot less attractive. It's a lot harder to manage that now than it used to be. Uh, so that's a lot less attractive, and I don't think Portland's mind is is kind of like shifted around that fact uh, yet, but that's a lot less attractive. All the teams, even if you ignore that, that would be like, yeah, I'd be a Lillard buyer. Like, they have nothing left. Like, all the teams that could go all in for a guy like Lillard, like, already went all in on other players, and that's just sort of what happened, and that's why I say it's the Bradley Beal topic, because that's why Beal was available for, like, nothing to the Phoenix Suns is because... There was no market for him because all the teams that would maybe have a market to take on a guy who's maybe paid a little more than you want but is really good already gave up all their assets. And so, you know, Phoenix had nothing left. Like, they gave they gave Washington what they had. It was just like nothing. It was just like nothing. And so uh, this is also why, connecting back to Zach and, and to DeMar, where I said we've missed the boat. Like, the opportunity to make these kinds of trades, it's just kind of gone. And so will Lillard eventually end up in Miami? Like maybe yes, maybe no. I, I, I don't know. Like I think the answer should be yes. Like it, if Miami can come up with anything even like quasi-valuable, and I think they can, you know, if you move Tyler Hero and, and Kyle Lowry is just dead filler and you get like a, a first for Hero and then you offer some swaps and some other stuff, like, yeah, I'd do it if I'm Portland. Like those swaps have a fair chance to be valuable because you have a potential star on your roster. Maybe you'll be bad and you'll get another good player. Uh, I, I mean, I don't think Miami's going to last all that long between, between Butler and Lillard. Like, so those swaps that go out like a few years into the future, like you start looking at like 2026 20, and beyond, like those swaps might be super valuable right at the time where you have now built your good team up against your young star player and your team is good. And now Miami is really bad and they have no assets and they're capped out and they're luxury taxed out and all this other crap. And you, know, you can really maybe make something happen. Now, the history of Pat Riley and Eric Spolstra is pretty legendary about recovering. Uh, but I think you should never look at a situation and say like, oh, well, they're just going to be able to do it again. I mean, Pat Riley might not even be there. This might just be his last gasp. You may look at it like, you know, like what is he, like eight? Like, I think he's, I say he's like 78, 79, like maybe in his early 80s at this point. Like, I just feel like probably if Pat Riley got Damian Lillard, he'd be like, all right, I got two more years to try and make this thing work. This is my last best shot at a title. And then, you know what? Like, probably it's 
going to be time for me to like, just let it go rather than do another rebuild. You're like, I just think that's kind of like probably where we would end up. So, you know, I think that that actually has a really good value to you. And I think that'll actually end up happening eventually. But the problem really, like I said, is that, you know, Portland wants this kind of package that people were getting for these guys a few years back. And that, that's just not out there anymore. And Philly looking for a package for James Harden just makes me laugh. And so to discuss this tie back to the bulls for a second, you know, it's like, Oh, should we be involved in the James Harden sweepstakes? This isn't a sweepstakes. This is like, if I said, do you want to be in the rat poison sweepstakes? Do you, do you want to give me a ton of money for a bag of rat poison so you can eat it? Like, no, like, like what, one, why would you even want James Harden? James Harden doesn't want to be on the Bulls to begin with, right? Like, he wants to be somewhere else. And so, you know James Harden in a spot he doesn't want to be is, like, a really, really bad idea, right? Like, I don't have to convince you of that. Like, there's lots of evidence. He's demanded out on his last three teams. You do not want a hap- unhappy James Harden on your team, and he would not be happy in Chicago. That alone is enough reason that you don't even consider this, no matter what. But the second thing is you can't even trade for James Harden. People are like, oh, we should swap DeRozan for Harden. Well, one, you can't because the Bulls would be over the hard cap. Like, legally, you can't. Like, the contracts don't match. And there's really not an easy way to make the contracts match because if you try to match the contracts, all the guys you could use that are just a little bit of bump above uh, what DeRozan makes to get closer to Harden's salary to make it work and keep you under the hard cap are guys that you can't trade till December 15th. Uh, and if you trade other guys, you got to take back people like uh, because you need to have minimum roster spots. So you can't really make make it work anyway with Harden without throwing in like Pat Williams or Alex Caruso or something, which I, I think makes the value way too much. It's already too much. I mean, like DeMar DeRozan is maybe a similar caliber player who actually wants to be here and is a nice guy instead of a complete jackass. So there's like no reason you should even consider this type of thing anyway. But it, it just it can't work. I tried to think of like, what's the deal I would make? Like ignoring what Philly would want, what would I do for James Harden? And it's like, yeah, maybe I would do Lonzo and uh, Vucevic for Harden and then figure out a way to swap one of my other guards for like a big man. Like maybe that's a deal I would consider making. Uh, but, but like I said, I don't, like Harden doesn't want to be here. It's not going to work. Philly would never remotely consider that. It would be ridiculously dumb from their perspective. There's, there's no trade that makes any sense that's going to happen. So just, just ignore it. There's like no reason to even think about James Harden on the Chicago Bulls. And it's just going to be hard for teams to make superstar deals. And it'll be interesting to see what happens with some of these guys. Uh, so I did throw out a Ask Me Anything on to Twitter because I said, I only have like 20, 25 minutes. I've made it to 27 minutes before getting to my ask me anything. So uh, I'll just run through the questions, um, you know, that are out there. And I thought this was a good one. If an expansion draft were to happen today and the Bulls had to choose eight players to protect in a draft, who do you think Acme would protect? uh, And which eight would you protect? And, you know, I think I mentioned earlier our top 10 in the rotation, which was Zach Carter, Kobe, Io, DeMar Crusoe, Pat Craig, Vooch and Drummond. Um, I think he would protect eight of those guys. I think Drummond would be one he didn't protect. I mean, he's, he's here because he opted into his contract um, rather than, than opting out, so we didn't want him. I think the other guy you leave off in that group is probably Craig, um, or he would probably leave off Craig. I would leave off Io. Just, I don't think anyone would take Io, to be honest. Um, if it were me, I would probably protect uh, Zach, DeMar, Vooch, um, Carter, Caruso, Kobe, uh, Pat, and then maybe Julian Phillips, and I'd leave Io, Craig, and Drummond. Yeah, it's kind of hard to say, like, if, if you're going into this season, like, it depends on your goals. Like, are you looking to 
in a rebuild scenario? And also, do you get compensatory picks or do you get like something else if they take one of your guys? I'm guessing the answer is no. And I've, God, it's been, I've not actually studied an expansion draft ever. They've not had one since I became like a, a, a big blogger, podcaster in the NBA, and I don't really follow other sports. So I think you don't get anything back when they take one of your guys. Otherwise, you'd be like, yeah, okay, I'll leave DeMar out there. And if they take him, they take him. Maybe I'd leave Vooch exposed and just not worry about it. The problem really is it's that you are already so on the moving with this team that I think you just have to keep the eight guys that you want. But I would want to maybe find a way to protect Julian Phillips. Um, just cause I, think, I think he looked promising, and, and you've got him on a really cheap four-year deal. I'd maybe want to keep him. But uh, otherwise, I'd probably end up with the same guys as Acme. I don't think I'd have a whole different uh, different line of thought around that, to be honest. Uh, next question. Uh, if salaries could work with a hardened and swap, raise the ceiling for the Bulls, uh, makes sense for Philly, I think. Uh, no, I mean, just like what I said, Harden would want to be here. He would just completely tank the team and tank everyone else around him. Like if this was a video game and you could ignore all of the fact that these guys are humans with human attitudes and personas and whatever, then yes, I think it would raise the ceiling on the team. But it's not a video game, and these people are humans, and they do have human types of emotions, actions, and whatever, and an unhappy James Harden is not a productive James Harden uh, in my case. Uh, does it make sense to invest in gentlemen's clubs with a slight possibility of Harden being moved to Chicago? Uh, I think the possibility is just not big enough. So I, I think you should just keep your gentlemen's clubs in Philadelphia. Uh, maybe maybe you want to put them in L.A. because people just, they do go where they want to go in the long run, it seems. But no, no chance uh, he's, he, he's going to come here. And uh, I don't know, and gentlemen's clubs might be a good investment anyway. No idea. Can the mid three change their games in any way to get better results? I think this is an interesting question. Um, I mean, sort of the answer is yes. Like, of course, they could play better together because I don't think they have this great, uh, great chemistry together. When I think about it, the best outcome for Zach is to get as many catch and shoot threes as possible and for Zach to just remove any mid range shots from his game. I think that would be like the best outcome for Zach. Like get, get up 14 threes a game and remove all the mid-rangers from your game. From DeMar, I think one of the things I feel is sort of true with him is I kind of think he sometimes, and Zach also sometimes too, you can tell when these guys are coming in to shoot and when they're coming in to play make. Like he's got one hat on or the other, and you know which it is kind of like right away. And like Zach will really telegraph when he's trying to get Vooch into the game. And I think he does the best job on the team of getting Vooch involved and getting him good looks in the post and other stuff, but he really telegraphs it. And so I think the thing that would help the most is if these guys just had a little bit less predictability um, inside their games. Um, but, but to me, the biggest thing is Zach removing mid rangers from his game and, and really embracing the clay Thompson off the ball role. And then DeMar just being a little bit more observant and, passing the ball, getting Vooch in the post against the mismatches more, and Zach those open threes a little bit more if you're going to have DeMar being the de facto uh, point guard on the team. And last question, um, honest question about the projected rotation. How do you see the minutes being divided up? Um, so I, I said I think we have like a 10-man rotation. I'm going to go back to thing. So, you know, Zach, I think probably like 36 minutes a game. DeMar you know, probably like 36 minutes a game, you know, Vooch probably 30 minutes a game. Um, God, I need to get a calculator out to, to figure that out. So if, if Vooch is 30, that leaves 18 for Drummond. 
and then uh, now we're just kind of dividing the rest. I think you probably go mostly nine-man rotation, which means one of those 10 guys kind of has to be out of the rotation at least a little bit. And I think that is maybe the most interesting thing. And I think it's going to be Io that's out of the rotation early uh, with Zach Carter, Kobe, DeMar, Caruso, Pat, Craig, Vooch, and Drummond being the main rotation and Io being just a spot minute leftover guy early. Uh, it kind of goes a little bit in conflict with the fact that we just paid him $7 million and Craig is on a minimum deal and Drummond's on a minimum deal. But I think Craig and Drummond fulfill roles that Io is not going to fulfill really well and needs that we have. So I think until there's either Io just proves that he's worth those minutes or until there's some type of injury and Io can kind of cover a lot of guys on the team. If there's an injury, I think he's going to be the odd man out. So I know that didn't quite get your answer to the minutes. I, I, I just opened Twitter and looked at the questions and figured I could answer them on the fly. And that one uh, would, would, I'd have to drop my calculator. So I apologize there, but I think the, the gist of it is, I think Iowa is probably the odd man out of, of, of those guys. I would expect Phillips, Terry, uh, Terry Taylor and uh, Carly Jones by some miracle. If he makes the roster, uh, would be guys who are just out of the rotation. Oh, the other thing I forgot to mention, I thought this was super weird. According to Spot Track and my quick math, if I'm right, the Bulls are $1,000 into the luxury tax with Carleek Jones on the roster. Uh, nice knowing you, Carleek Jones. Either, either I made an error, Spot Track made an error, or Carleek Jones has 0% chance of making the luxury tax. We are not going to go into the season thinking like, we have to give up a second rounder to dump a guy off the roster to avoid the, the luxury tax just so we have the privilege of having Carly Jones on there. Um, and we are definitely not giving up like a $15 million luxury payment, uh, luxury tax payment to have Carly Jones on the roster. So uh, it was nice knowing you, Carly Jones, again, unless I made some type of error. But I think I thought that was comical that it looks like we're, we were $1,000 short. If we waive Carly Jones, we'll also have enough room to cover Kobe White's um, incentives. Like right now, we would be $1.3 million over with his incentives. Um, we're like a thousand over without his incentives. His incentives are currently listed as unlikely, which means whatever they are, he didn't meet them last year. Assuming Sport Track has the numbers uh, or Spot Track has the numbers correct. I always call them Sport Track. Spot Track has the numbers correct. Um, but you know, again, I'm not a hundred percent sure. But I, I just thought that was uh, a little bit funny. So we'll see what we'll see what happens. But I, I predict the Bulls go in with fourteen, and uh, yeah, we'll see we'll see what's in there. That will do it for this edition of the Bulls Beat. Uh, like I said, probably we'll have a big red bus out with Fred uh, a couple days and probably be a month until the next Bulls Beat unless there's something really exciting to talk about or report or I just get the itch. Uh, so we'll talk to you guys then.